Grove family. Let's switch over here. I'm going to borrow this. You guys hear me okay? Good. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, music team and wonderful choir for all that this morning. Really enjoyed that. Okay. I want you guys to imagine something with me this morning as we get started. I want you to imagine that you had either a show or a concert or something that you had really wanted to go to. Maybe you and um, maybe it was something that your children wanted to see. And you had planned it out for a long time. You bought your tickets in advance and you got good seats. You picked your seats perfectly online in the seating chart. And you got a seat that was pretty close to the front for this show that you wanted to see. Unfortunately, your children weren't able to attend, so you had it planned out. You got there early. You had your seat marked out. You got a perfect view of the stage. You brought your camcorder, and you set it up on your tripod. Everything was perfect. You were going to video it, save it for your kids to see. And uh, as the show is getting ready to start, you're getting excited because you've been waiting to see this show for so long. And three minutes before the show starts, possibly the largest man you've ever seen in your life moves his way to the front of, a tr of the, uh, the row right in front of you and he plops himself down in the seat directly in front of you. And now all of your plans are obstructed quite literally, and the rest of this show is not going to be as joyful as, as you thought it was going to be, because your joy has been blocked by the largest shoulder that you've ever seen, and your children's joy is blocked by its matching twin on the other side, and the whole show is blocked, and you sit in your seat, and you are not a happy individual because your joy has been closed off and everything was ruined because you didn't know that this man was going to move in there and block your view and you can't see anything. It's interesting. Um, there are several things that can move in on our joy in life. We're going to be talking about joy this morning. Why don't we open up in prayer before we get started and we'll get into our word today. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this time of year, specifically, God, uh, and all that we have to celebrate. Specifically, God, we think of, of the love, the hope, and now the joy that we remember in this month that we have as a result of your gift, priceless gift of your Son. So this morning, I pray that as we dive into uh, discovering joy, that you would speak to our hearts, all of us here, God. And uh, help us to discover joy in a new way. Help us to rejoice for what we have in you. Because God, honestly, joy is not always an easy pill to swallow. So I just pray that you be with us in your word this morning and that you would speak to all of our hearts. Amen. Life is unpredictable. 
at all times. Um, A.T. Robertson once rightly stated that uh, the ocean, even when it is calm and beautiful, is still always restless. And that can be said of our life as well. Even in the times when it's calm and beautiful, it's, it's not predictable. And it's restless. But there are times that it moves beyond uh, restlessness. There are many times that, that our life moves beyond unpredictable and, and we enter into a realm of tragedy. And uh, last week we had Glenn sharing with us about hope. And uh, dealing with hope in the midst of things that we we would have never expected in our life. And we've got a lot of individuals in Northern California and all over California that are dealing with, with things that they didn't think they would have to deal with. with between the, the car fire, the campfire, all the fires in Southern California, things come into our life that we don't expect, that move in front of the light and uh, block us off from the joy. The question is, how do we handle ourselves when that tragedy strikes? When a fire consumes what you own, when a flood, um, natural disaster. When you uh, get that diagnosis from the doctor that you didn't expect to get. And many of us in here have walked through those things with our families, are still walking through them. And you know it's going to be a long road ahead of you. When those things happen, it feels like your world's falling apart and it, it feels as though you have to try to figure out how to take a step, how to get yourself up and move. Hope might be a, a topic you want to consider. Peace is something you're going to long for, but joy usually is not something that you want to even think about. Joy is not an exciting thing to think about when your world has just fallen apart. But yet we have this. First Thessalonians. They told me this might be dead, so we'll see if my clicker is going to work this morning. No, I think we got dead batteries. Could you put up that next slide for me? We have this. First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen. Rejoice always. Literally take joy at all times. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Philippians 4.4 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. In other words, take joy in all things at all times. Now, when you take something like this, that, that's, a, that's a pretty hard pill to swallow. It's pretty hard to wrap your mind around it because to me the difficulty is that joy is an emotion. And joy is an emotion that, that usually is dictated by our circumstances. And so the question arises, how can God issue a command for us to have an emotion? Is that something that we really have control over? Well, I want to look at it. The first thing we need to understand is that there's a, there's a difference between experiencing joy and between possessing joy. And I think that's where it's all going to center around today. That there's a difference between experiencing joy and possessing it. 
Um, an, individual, an individual who is an unbeliever, they have the ability to experience joy. And I know you've seen them. It, joy is not something that is local only to those who have a relationship with God. I work with a very joyful individual, a man who is always happy, who takes everything you tell him to do and he does it excitedly. Um, he's never complaining. Oftentimes he puts me to shame at work because he has such a joyful attitude. It's possible for anybody in the world to be a recipient of joy. I want you to think about the idea of, of the sun um, as the light source of the earth that, that moves over the earth. Um, well, not moving over the earth. You know what I mean. But the sun, <laughs> the sun shines down upon the earth, uh, providing light and warmth to every individual. Everybody receives the benefit of the, the light and the warmth of the sun. Um, and if it weren't for the sun, everybody would be walking in darkness. Now, the Bible says that God is light, and in Him is no darkness. And when it's giving that description, it's, it's giving the description of who God is and His character, and using the, the illustration, the picture of light. And in that, you could put any characteristic that defines God, or that that God defines, I should say. We see so many things that God defines uh, in the fruit of the Spirit, the character of God, that God is love. God is joy. He defines these things. So, if we were to say that God is, is joy for today, He's the definition of what joy is. We need to understand, as the sun shining down upon the earth, that, that God being the example God being the light of joy on the earth, everybody has the ability to benefit from the goodness of God. Whether they're a believer, whether they know God or not, everybody can experience it. And if it weren't for the goodness of God, everybody would be walking in darkness because the sin nature does not have the ability to produce anything of the character of God. But what dif the, what the difference is and what separates the person that knows God from the person that doesn't is what happens when the clouds move over. What happens when the light source is blocked off? What happens um, when tragedy strikes? See, the follower of Christ has more than the ability to experience joy. The follower of Christ has the ability to possess joy. See, the definer of joy, the founder of joy, the author of joy has taken residence in our heart. In fact, if we really think about it, uh, the Bible would have very little reason to speak on the subject of joy if it weren't for times of tragedy. It would have no reason to speak about being joyful if there wasn't clouds that moved over to block that joy. The difference between experiencing joy and possessing joy is in times of tragedy. Think about the vast majority of references in the Bible that speak of joy. You can go to the next slide. I'll just give you a few. James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Romans 5, 3, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, 
and be constant in prayer. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening, but rejoice. Take joy insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. I can go on and on because the vast majority of references to joy in the Bible all center around joy and trial. This is what's the separation between what we have inside of us is, is that we have the ability, the access to joy no matter what the circumstances are around us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, 20-22. I want to show you how this works. Because it's fascinating. Ephesians 1, 20-22. Which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. And He set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And He hath put all things under His feet. It's namely Jesus that He's talking about. And gave Him to be the head over all things the church. See, Christ, He endured this earth and He conquered this earth. And now it's just saying that, that He's been raised up above every ruler, every authority, every dominion, everything that has power over Him on this earth, He's been raised above it. And now He's seated above it all. He's beyond the clouds. Go to the next one. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. Paul in Ephesians here is making a comparison. <clears throat> Going back using the same terminology. Now he's referring to our position in the church. It says, But God who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And, listen to this, has raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying here is that our position is not on this earth. Though we dwell on this earth and though we live here on this earth in our physical bodies, we have been placed spiritually above everything on this earth. Just as Christ was raised above everything and everything was put below His feet, we've been raised up with Him positionally. See, the unbeliever, um, they unknowingly receive the goodness of the Lord. They receive the joy of the Lord. But when uh, the clouds move over and the light is cut off, that joy can only take them so far when they're cut off from the source. And we need to understand that the human, the human cannot produce joy on their own apart from the source of joy. But what Paul is saying here is that we are not seated on this earth positionally where, where the trials and the tragedy that comes through can affect our hearts. Unless we choose to be. We have joy residing in us and we can rise above the clouds 
and view it from his perspective. I gave a silly example in the beginning of your seat being blocked. But I want you to think about this. If you were in this show and you, you're missing everything, your joy was sapped away from you because this man that moved in. And you put all the work into it, you had everything planned out and your plans were destroyed and it's all his fault, this person that is blocking off your joy. What this verse is essentially telling us is that Christ, He has offered us a seat with Him in the presidential balcony, the best seat in the house. The best seat in the house. And He's saying, hey, look, I know you got blocked off. I'm sorry for what's going on down there, but look, I have a seat up here. And the best seat in the house, it's private, You don't have to deal with the lady snoring next to you. You don't have to deal with shoulders in front of you. Come sit with me. Because from up here in my perspective, I don't see shoulders. I just see the bald spot on top of his head. What we usually do, and this is the problem, what we usually do in our circumstances is we say, no, I planned this out. This was my plan, and I did not mess up in my plan. I had perfect plans. And he messed it up. So I'm going to stay in the seat because I paid for it. And I'm going to stay in the seat because I had it all right. I had the camcorder and my kids were going to see it. And I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to seethe about it because it was ruined by him. All the time when we have the perfect seat available. You know what a dark cloud looks like from above? Well, it's not dark anymore because the sun's shining on it, right? I want you to envision this verse where God first establishes that Christ has conquered this earth. And He has conquered all the principalities and powers and now He's above it all. He's above the dark clouds that move in. Never again. And then He says that, that you, He's raised up together with Him. I want you to envision this. Because what Paul is saying here in Ephesians is that God has called us above the clouds. It's a matter of our perspective. See, the the clouds move in and they block off our view from God. And what God is saying, hey, the cloud that you're in right now is only dark because it's blocking me. It's only dark because it's blocking me off. Get close to me. Come, let me show you what my perspective is. Because when you come where God is, where God is seated up in the heavenlies, that cloud is just a white, fluffy, shiny ball of glory. It's only dark when it's blocking off our Lord. You should see what it looks like when His light is shining on it. Go ahead and go to the next slide. What separates the believer from the unbeliever is that, yes, we have access to joy, but the thing is that access to joy is completely based on our relationship to the person of Christ. Now, how would it be if we had the presidential balcony open and we sit there on ground level? Well, that's exactly what we do the majority of the time. We do have joy available. 
And when tragedy strikes, we feel like joy has been sapped from our life and there's no way that I could take joy. In fact, I would feel guilty to possess joy right now because my world is a mess. My child is hurting. My wife just got a diagnosis. She has cancer. Whatever it might be. It's completely based on a relationship to Christ. In his final statements to his friends in John 15, 4, Jesus says the phrase, the chapter that we are so familiar with, but there in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you skip on down to verse 11, in the same conversation as he's wrapping things up in John 15, 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy... What was that? I've spoken these things to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. See, Christ was communicating to his friends that the key to joy... The key to understanding joy is, is all centered around what your relationship is with me. The key to joy is how you abide in me. How you fellowship with me. My joy may be in you. His very own joy. He says, neither can you abide in me unless I in you. I mean, neither can you bear fruit, I should say unless I abide in you. I want you to think of that fruit. I think oftentimes we take this, the, the idea of bearing fruit in this passage, that it, abide in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. And we, we put it straight forward to the, the works of the Christian. That the bearing the fruit is the things that we do for Christ. The bearing the fruit is um, the people that we lead to the Lord, the things that we do, the, the way that we serve. All of this is very true. Those things are the fruit that the Christian should be bearing. That is the evidence that he is in a relationship with God. But let's simplify and step back for a second because when we think about the character of God placed within us through the Holy Spirit, we have the key. The fruit of the Spirit is listed for us. The things that should be exhibited when the Spirit is manifested in our life. The fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience. You can go on through the list. Those things should be exhibited in us, but they can only be exhibited when we are abiding in a relationship. The Holy Spirit cannot work out His love in us perfectly unless we're in an abiding relationship. He cannot work out joy in our life unless we're connected to Him. Once again, He is the source, the only source of joy. All these things cannot be manifested unless we are in an abiding relationship with Christ. So yes, when we look at verses that say rejoice always, joy is an emotion, but it's an emotion that is based in relationship. And that's the key that we need to understand. Joy is based in relationship. I want you to take you to the ultimate example of this relational joy. And then another passage that you all know, Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews 12.2. Speaking of us pressing on, picking up in two, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Which in itself is, is an incredible title to have when describing our Lord. The author, some say, and the finisher, but the founder, the starter of our faith and the completer. The word for perfecter there is a very interesting word because it's, as far as we could tell, it was made up by the author. It's not found anywhere else in Greek. Something that we would do when we can't describe something completely. And we use the best description we can. But the word that he uses is from the same root as the phrase that Jesus said on the cross. Tetelestai, it is, it is finished. It is completed. It's from the verb teleo, meaning to complete, to finish, to consummate. And he says here, we have this, this Jesus. He's the, the author, the starter of our faith. And then he tries to come up with a word to describe Jesus, the consummator, the finisher, the completer of our faith. It's all wrapped up in one. But look at this. This Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy. who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The question is, what, what was that joy that was set before him? I think we could breeze through this, and oftentimes we act like the end of the verse is the joy that was set before him, that he was seated at the right hand of God, as if that was his ultimate goal, was, was being back at the right hand of God, seated there in heaven. But if that was Christ's goal, then he never needed to leave in the first place. He was already in heaven. Being seated with Christ was something, I mean, seated with God was something he already had from the beginning. The joy that was set before him was you. It was me. We were the joy that was set before him for which he endured the cross. He endured the pain, he endured the torment being despised, rejected, because he knew that with the shedding of his blood, he would be completing the final purchase of us. His bride from the grasps of hell. He endured the pain until the work was finished for the joy that was set before him. The joy in mind of spending eternity with the ones that he loved. It's a mystery. The hope of joy was what kept Christ on the cross. And for reasons that we'll never understand, that joy was based on a relationship with you and me. I don't get it. I don't understand that kind of love. But you see, joy is based on relationships. And it was that relationship that he desired so much that kept him there. That pressed through to finish. And now, yes, he's seated in the heavenlies. That was not his goal. He's seated in the heavenlies now next to his father. 
at the right hand of God as a symbol that it's done, it's accomplished, and there's nothing left to conquer. <clears throat> when I think of joy, there are two earthly examples that I have witnessed that um, probably come the closest to pure joy that I can imagine on this earth. Now, the first of those is the memory of my wife's face when she walked down the aisle on her wedding day. Many of you can relate to that. I can never forget the look of complete joy, of complete expectation of what was to come, as I'm sure that she would think the same of my face. Though I think hers is a better example of maybe joy and suffering. Um, it would fit a little bit better for the sermon. But it, what it is, it's the joy of being so close to entering into a lifelong journey with the one that you love. Where there's no one else that could take it away, and there's nothing that can get in between. After years or months, whatever it might be, the waiting, you finally belong to the one that you love. It's pure joy. It's the freedom. But the second example is probably what I'd have to consider the greatest example of miraculous joy uh, that I've ever witnessed, that maybe could ever be witnessed on this earth. That's the miraculous joy of a mother following the birth of her child. It's something I've had the privilege of witnessing three times now. One more time to come, shortly. Now, let me just get this out there. Men are stupid. Not new news I'm preaching. But being that men are stupid, I think every man, um, they would never consciously downplay, willingly or consciously downplay the suffering that a woman goes through in childbirth. I think, I think every man knows that it's extreme agony and, and pain that a woman goes through to bring that child into this world. That being said, until you are in that room, and until you witness that, <laughs> it's, it's not something that, that men really have the perspective of until you've seen it happen. Because I'm going to say, I thought I was prepared for how much pain my wife was going to go through. I'll be honest, I was looking at the doctor pretty closely because there were some times where I was thinking, when our first child was born, I'm waiting for that doctor's face to look scared because to me, my wife looks like she's going to die. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, my wife's going to die. There's no way that a human body could possibly endure such agony. I, but they do. And you look at the nurse and they're just, it's just the, the regular routine. Where's Natalie Fisher? Ask Natalie sometime. It's incredible. It's beyond believable what, what the human body is able to go through when the woman brings forth this child the amount of pain and endurance that, that they're able to go through. But um, what's interesting, as painful as that is, as excruciating as childbirth is, 
Interestingly enough, you're never going to find a woman who, if there was some miraculous opportunity, hypothetically, where she was given a choice of whether she could continue with that labor or whether she could just choose to keep that baby in her tummy forever. Yeah, they want it out. That baby's been in there for long enough. And they're not meant to have that baby in there. They've suffered for nine months and it's not intended to be a permanent state of living. They're going to press on because they know that it will be terrible, it will be excruciating, but the pain serves as a reminder that they are closer to holding their child than they have ever been before. Closer. You know, as miraculous as it is when a woman... um, as miraculous as it is that a woman can survive labor. Uh, perhaps the greater miracle is how much of the trauma disappears the moment that baby is placed in her arms. And that's something for men that I, I, I don't understand. We just can't understand. But the moment that baby is placed in the mother's arms... There is a joy that you cannot put on the words. Because uh, all of that trouble, all the pain can't compare to the joy of holding the one that she loves. The one that she's dreamed about seeing for nine months. Having not seen this face, wondering what it would look like. What it would act like. What the personality would be like. And at that moment that that baby is laid in their arms, she knows that all of the suffering is behind her. It's done. And there's nothing more that can separate her from her child. You see, only a relationship, only love, can produce that kind of joy and that kind of suffering. It's beautiful. In regards to him leaving and coming back in John 16, 20, you can go to that. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. It's over. You know, joy and hope always go hand in hand. Joy is an emotion, but the emotion is not the source. And that's what we need to understand. When the clouds move in, joy, yes, it's an emotion. Things can get in the way of emotion. But the emotion is not the source. The source of joy is based on relationship. Relationship that is outside, that is above our human circumstances. Where Christ is 
seated at the right hand of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, once again, we have hope. Why? Because He's raised and He's up there. He's not on this earth anymore. He's not in the ground seats. He's in the balcony. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You don't see Him, but you love Him. Think of the heart of the mother. We're in it right now, Gabby and I. Fourth time in this. You have that baby, and we don't know the baby, we don't see it, but yet you do know the baby. You're feeling it kick. You're feeling it move. We have not seen Christ, but we love Him. We've not seen Christ, but we know we love Him. And there is a day that is coming when we're not going to be seeing in part, but we'll be seeing in the whole. Face to face. And just like that mother having not seen the face of her child, and yet knowing that child in part, longing to see it face to face and be with it forevermore. That's joy. Think of those who have gone before us who have entered into that joy. Think of Lou, who is now experiencing joy, who has now seen him not in part, but in whole. So, yes, we can have joy on this earth despite the circumstances because this isn't our home. And Christ is seated above all this world and has called us to sit with Him. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things so that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. But be of good cheer. He couldn't have meant that. Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. What he's saying here is, hey guys, talking to his friends, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough, but guess what? I made it. I made it through it. And I'm going to be waiting for you on the other side. Think about it. Abide in me. 
just abide in me. In your heart until you can abide with me in whole. Amen? Why don't we pray? God, sometimes joy is something that we end up trying to chase around all over the place. And sometimes joy is pretty hard to find. And sometimes we feel like we don't have an option because that big dark cloud came in and moved right over top of everything that was bringing us joy. And we feel like that cloud closed us off from you yourself, God. But the truth is, we are not seated on this earth, God. We walk on this earth, but our hearts, Lord, you have called our hearts to sit with you. To nestle up close to you where you can show us the proper perspective. This is but for a moment. Momentary fleeting trials, God. Though it seems like all of our world, the day is coming soon. Or we'll be with you. And it'll all be over. And the proof is gone for us. And those such as Lou, God, who are now with you this week, right now. Help our hearts to find you, Lord. Rather than seeking joy, help us to seek after you and let you show it to us, Lord. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.